Welcome to the Peckway Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. At Peckway, our mission is to transform lives by connecting people with God and with each other. It's our hope that this message will give you hope and encourage you to take the next step in your journey with Christ. For more information about our services and weekly ministries, visit us at peckwaychurch.com. Let us sing for the joy of the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For he is our God. Good morning. Would you stand as we begin worship? Psalm 71, 19 says, Your righteousness, God, reaches to the heavens. You have done great things. Who is like you, God? Let's worship. Come, let us worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. Has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how his love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great things. Oh,
so great to see you all here today. Thanks for being here with us at Peckway Church. Uh, if you're a first-time guest, thanks so much for coming out this morning and being with us. Um, inside of your bulletin uh, is a gray connection card. I'm going to invite everyone to take that out. Go ahead and start filling that out even now. As I'm speaking online, you're going to find a connect link in the chat window that you can fill out. Simply follow those prompts. Uh, it'll bring you to the card, and you can fill that out there as well. But um, on the front of that card, it's just some basic information for you guys in-house. On the back of that card, you can uh, indicate if you would like any information about Peckway Church, any of the ministries that we have online. I think there's some things that you can check in your box there. Uh, but even more than that, there's a box on the back of your card and then a place that you can write your prayer request. And we love uh, being able to pray along with you about anything that's uh, going on in your lives that you're willing to share and that we covenant together to pray along with you. Uh, like I said, if you're a first-time guest, thanks so much and uh, there's for being here. And there's a really simple way that you can fill out that card if you don't want to do it physically. You can do it with your phone. Just simply take out your phone and text the word hello to 717 872 Five six seven nine, and follow the prompts there, and uh, we'll get connected that way. But in doing so, this simply opens a line of communication between us so that we can share with you resources about Peckway Church, or if you have questions, a really simple text to us, and we can get that right out to you, uh, any of those answers you might be looking for. Well, we are continuing our sermon series of faith over fear, uh, and there's many things that we can be afraid of, you know, and there's some, some really big uh, psychological terms, right, uh, for fears. So take a look at this video. See if you have one of these fears. The world has a lot of fears, and they all have names. The fear of wide open spaces is called agoraphobia. The fear of spiders, arachnophobia. The fear of needles, can you roll up your sleeve for me? Is known as trypanophobia. Okay, okay, okay. Just, 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 just. And the fear of heights? Oh my goodness, look at the view! Acrophobia. <laughs> if you're afraid of the dark, you've got nyctophobia. Oh! Fear of long words is hippopotomonstrosesquipedeliaphobia. Why would they call it that? <laughs> And fear of being trapped in a confined space with no escape? Claustrophobia. Most fears are bad. But there's one kind of fear that's good. The fear of God. Realizing that he's powerful. He's in charge. And he loves you perfectly. When we understand this perfect love, it has a way of making us all not so afraid. So when it comes to fear, we have a choice. Fear God. Or fear everything else. Which, by the way, is called panophobia. So which fear do you have? I think I might have arachnophobia. I don't like spiders. <laughs> but as we are continuing to talk about fear and having faith over fear, you know, when we trust in God, when we look to him, those physical fears, obviously, yes, we have, but we also have spiritual fears in our life. And so we're going to look, continue looking at uh, the life of Saul as we are going through this. I think I said that right. <laughs> Sometimes I get all my words jumbled, but uh, we're going to keep looking at his life and see how he's, his heart of fear caused him to make some bad decisions uh, and not obey God. So, but we can obey God when we trust him and look to him. In Proverbs 4.23, the uh, scripture says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And so, uh, you know, I think as we are going through this series, we're going to learn how to guard our heart, how we can have that heart that follows after God, that, uh, that is seeking what God wants, and how we can overcome the fears in our, in our lives and be able to walk in obedience and trust with him. I'm going to invite you to stand once again as, as we uh, continue worshiping, and we're going to believe for those things today, that we can trust in God and that he helps us overcome the circumstances and things that try to trip us up in our life. He moves those mountains when we walk in faith. They say this mountain can't 
be moved. They say these chains will never break, but they don't know you like we do. There is power in your name. We've heard that there is no way through. We've heard the time will never change. They haven't seen what you can do. There is power in your name. So much power in your name. Move the immovable, break the unbreakable. God, we believe, God, we believe for it. From the impossible, we'll see a miracle. God, we believe, God, we believe for it. We know that hope is never lost. today for us. So let's sing that. Sing that to him this morning. Here we go. You are the way when there seems to be no way. We trust in you, God, you have the final say. You are the way when there seems to be no way. We trust in God is doing, we can still trust that he's moving, that he's working. He's changing hearts. He's in this place today. That's what the song reminds us about. So would you step out in faith today? Just tell him whatever it is that seems to be immovable, impossible in your life today. And as we sing this song, sing it as a prayer to him. He is our way maker.
for something but yet you haven't seen it happen yet don't stop trusting him don't stop believing because he is doing things behind the scenes things that we can't see so we're going to sing this to him this morning praying it in faith saying that even when we don't see him working we can trust that he is let's sing that even when i don't see it working even when i don't feel it working never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel that you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working.
you just bow with me for a moment as we thank him for being our way maker, Jesus, even when we don't see it, even when we can't feel it, help us to trust that you are working on our behalf, Father. You tell us that you work all things out for the good of those who are loved and called according to your purpose. So Father, help us as we trust your heart today. Help us to see where maybe our hearts are trusting more in uh, the things that we're afraid of, our circumstances, things that we can see with our eyes. Give us eyes of faith today, Father. As we trust in you, we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to invite Pastor Chris up and our guest. You may have seen the pictures as you were coming in earlier this morning. Uh, but we have our guest here with us today sharing about their company and uh, the things God is doing through that. And so uh, I'm going to turn that over to them now. All right. Well, good morning, church. And hello to everybody online as well. Uh, it's my privilege and honor to introduce to you uh, hopefully they're familiar faces, uh, D and MG, and uh, they, if you don't know who they are, they are serving with uh, what we'll call the company. Uh, you can ask them what that means uh, afterward in uh, the gym, and uh, they've been serving in a sensitive location for 10 years now, and uh, you may not be aware of it, but Peckway is uh, their church family. And so it's a privilege to have them here today. And so we're going to just have a, a brief interview to just get a, an update about uh, what God has been up to. And so the, the first question, uh, you've been focusing on a new work, a body safety program. Tell us about this work and why it's so important. Yeah, we work with uh, refugees and a lot of them are Syrian because when the Syrian war began, they came into our nation. So we're working with Syrian refugees and our child protection program is a new initiative there, and we hope to strengthen, our goal is to strengthen relationships between parents and children, and to lessen the likelihood of abuse and trauma. So we've created and developed in English and Arabic a curriculum to try to, try to prevent that. Um, and so we teach on the preventative side of that, and then on the other side is we have healing groups, and the healing groups are brand new. You know, as we met with so many Syrians, we would hear their stories, stories from their kids, from parents, grandma, grandpa, and we realized we really wanted to do something we needed to respond. And so healing groups began, and the very first healing group we had um, was amazing. In the healing group, it's women with women, men with men, because it's always separate, and um, Eight people came, and every single one of them heard something from God. So we introduced a new idea to these people that God is alive and living, and he can speak, you know, through the Bible, through songs, but also, like, personally to us, right? And so they, <clears throat> so at the first healing group then, every single woman heard something from God or saw a picture, and that is phenomenal because we want to yeah. pair, you know, principles, uh, spiritual principles with God encounters. So we're seeing lots of God encounters and exciting. It's exciting to live there. Yeah. And so just a, a follow-up question to that. Um, what are, what's some of the fruit that you're seeing from this program and this work? You know, it's so interesting. Um, you know, we want to, because it's a sensitive location, you need a reason to be living there. So our reason is this child protection initiative. And every single place that we have ever taught it, they've said to us, you have to keep doing this. No one in our country talks about these things. You have to. You need to teach our children. You need to teach our communities. So it's really exciting. We're bringing, yeah, some spiritual truth and direction into, into that particular place. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. I know your, your work is highly relation ship oriented and and so tell us a little bit how about how God is working in and through some of the relationships that you've been able to establish in your community so one of the biggest things we do is um, we're working with uh, 
poor Syrian refugees, and we bring aid, mainly in the form of food packets, but then we'll also help with medical and with um, uh, like subsidizing utilities, different things like that. And what it does is it really gives them a, a, a breath air, a fresh air, and um, so the water, instead of being above their nose, is, is just a little bit below. And that just sort of helps them. But compassion is part of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And they see compassion and caring for needs, and it opens up a way to be able to share about Jesus and how he calms storms, how he cares for us, and that we're more important than birds and flowers. And they love that. They absolutely love uh, that one teaching. And um, it gives us an opportunity then to pray for them and to let them know that, they, that we care about them, that we care about the, them as a whole person. Fantastic. Fantastic. How can we, uh, your family here, how can we be regularly praying for you and your family and this work? Uh, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart how grateful we are for all of your support. You guys have done so much of the heavy lifting for 10 years. Um, and it's through your generous giving and prayers uh, that we have really seen and been able to do some of uh, these things that have been on our hearts and are longing to do. So first of all, thank you. Uh, our biggest prayer is for encounters with the living God, for ears to hear and eyes to see. And sometimes we feel like the next day it's going to happen, and then it doesn't, and it, there's like a, a process and a discouragement as we sort of uh, keep on doing things. So just pray when, when we have these disappointments just to give them back to God and just to keep on going. Um, and then for breakthroughs, breakthroughs uh, uh, where, where their, their faith would be met. You know, when they put these steps out, oftentimes very minuscule and baby steps, but to meet, uh, that God would meet them as they uh, step out in faith. And then for us, just that we would continue to live and thrive and to do what God is calling us to do. Amen. Amen. So did you get that? Three ways we can be praying for them. So summarizing, God encounters. Um, Oh my gosh, I forget the second one now. When we get discouraged. Discouragement, just, uh, and then just thriving, flourishing for the family. Yeah. So, wonderful. Well, guys, thank you so much for um, your ministry. Thank you for just walking by faith and not giving in to fear. You're, you're an example to us, and uh, uh, pray that your time here is, is encouraging. Ten years, that's, uh, that's no small thing. So, well, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Thank you, guys. It's a privilege being here. Thank, thank you. you. And with that, we'll transition to our, our sermon today. But uh, let's begin with uh, a word of prayer. And, and before we pray, I just want to uh, encourage everyone to, um, DNMG will have a, uh, they have a table set up in the gym. And so after the, the gathering, uh, if you have any questions or you want to meet them, perhaps you're new with us and you haven't uh, met them before or heard about them, I would encourage you to, uh, when we're done here, Hightail it over to the gym and, and uh, make some connections, all right? So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness to us, your faithfulness. Father, we just praise you for our brothers and sisters, D and MG, and, and their kids. And Father, we just thank you for your faithfulness to them for, for 10 years. And we just count it a privilege and honor to have them with us here today. And so we just want to... Lift them up to you. We pray for uh, their work that you have called them to. Thank you for sustaining them for 10 years. Thank you for uh, just, just the inroads that you're giving to them. We pray for them, Lord, that through their work, you would just use it by your spirit to uh, create God encounters, encounters with you, uh, with people that just need to, to encounter you, Lord. And we pray for uh, DNMG, Lord, that throughout this time, we pray for the next 10 years, that uh, um, any time a spirit of discouragement would, would come in, Lord, it would be met head on by a spirit of faithfulness, by a spirit of, of love and grace. Protect their hearts and minds in that regard, Lord. And Lord, we just pray for, for them as a family and their kids, Lord, would you just continue to grow them and lead them to a place where they are just thriving and flourishing in the name of Jesus. And so, Father, I pray for, for all of us here as well, as we focus in on, on this issue of living lives of faith over fear, 
as we prepare to look at 1 Samuel 15, I pray once again that you would just fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit and touch each one of us, that we would have open eyes to see, open ears to hear, and open hearts to understand what it is you're saying to us this morning, Lord. And so we just commit this time to you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Faith Over Fear Part 2, we're going to be camped out in 1 Samuel 15 today, and um, I like to usually read the passage uh, at the beginning, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to do that today, although we will be working through this, this whole chapter. And if you want to follow along uh, with the Pew Bible, uh, it can be, the passage can be found on cha- or page 195 and 196. Last week, we examined the reality that difficulty will always come knocking on our door. And when it does, we can expect to be engaged in daily battle for our heart. We saw that when we give in to the contagion of fear, we can tend to make foolish decisions. And when we begin to do this, it can, be det- it can have a, a detrimental effect on our walk with the Lord. This week, as we look at 1 Samuel 15 and the, the example of King Saul, we will see even further how a life of giving in to fear can affect our walk with the Lord. And so I want to give you at the beginning here what I believe is a main point for this passage and today's message. And the main point is this. When fear becomes the primary lens of our heart rather than faith, we can tend to forget God's grace and struggle to obey his word. I just want to say that one more time. The main point is this. When fear becomes the primary lens of our heart rather than faith, we will tend to forget God's grace and struggle to obey his word. Fear can sometimes reveal what's truly in our hearts. And in that process, it can truly reveal what our theology actually is, what we actually believe. I mean, we just corporately a few moments ago were declaring that God is the way maker. But when we find ourselves in a difficult moment where the doors around us appear to be closed, are we still going to declare that God is the way maker or are we going to allow fear to guide us in the midst of those difficult moments? What do we actually believe and do we end up living out or living into what we profess with our lips? In this passage, God gives King Saul a command through his prophet Samuel, and the command is this, it's to destroy all of the Amalekites and their belongings. If you you have your your Bibles open, look at verse 3. Verse 3, God speaking through Samuel says to Saul, now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. And then again, skip ahead to verse 18. And this point is reiterated. In verse 18, it says, And he sent you on a mission, saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. And I know that, that with our 21st century mindset, these verses can be some difficult verses for us to, to read and to, to look at. But I want to give a little background as to what's taking place here. Right here in 1 Samuel 15 is actually the moment of God's judgment among or on the Amalekites. Now, if you're familiar with your, your Old Testament, the, this isn't the first time the Amalekites are mentioned. Earlier in the Old Testament, in Exodus 17, verse 14, and then again in Deuteronomy chapter 25 verses 17 through 19, God promises that he will at some point in time judge the Amalekites. Because when Israel was uh, after the exodus from Egypt, while they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, the Amalekite people attacked them in the midst of their wilderness wandering. 
And it was then that God said, because of what you have done, that time of judgment will come upon all the Amalekites. This here in 1 Samuel 15, this is that moment of judgment. This is the moment when that promise from earlier from God is going to be fulfilled and God chooses King Saul to carry it out. But as we'll see in this passage, Saul fails to obey what the Lord commands him to do. Saul essentially practices what we could call selective obedience. And selective obedience, friends, is still disobedience. Selective obedience is a form of disobedience that I believe is attempting to try to appear acceptable in the eyes of others. How does this look in our own lives? How do we practice selective obedience in order to look acceptable in the eyes of others or perhaps even in God's eyes? I believe that when we look at King Saul in this passage today, we are reminded primarily that fear at its root is a heart issue. Fear at its root is a heart issue. Look at 1 Samuel verses, uh, or chapter 15 verses 10 and 11. says, then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Now, particularly in those two verses, there's a phrase that he has turned away from me. He's turned away from me. What God is saying to Samuel here is that Saul's heart is no longer aligned with the heart of God, which means he's no longer seeking to follow after the ways of God. He's seeking his own ways. And we'll see later in this passage how his heart has turned from God and it has turned to himself. And this is a reality for us. Fear, if left unchecked and not continually held up to the light of Scripture, that fear can squeeze out our faith. Do you ever just play around with a balloon and you just kind of slowly squeeze the balloon? What happens? Well, that air has to go somewhere, right? And so if you're squeezing it in the middle, the, the ends begin to get bigger and expand. And if we were to continue to squeeze that balloon, eventually, what would happen? Pop. Pop. Well, for the sake of our illustration here, think of our heart as that balloon and our hands around that balloon squeezing it as the fear, the grip of fear on our heart. When we just allow that fear to continue to grip us, eventually in our lives then, there will come a moment when there's a pop. And that pop will then, I believe, come out in various ways, which we'll look at in a moment. But I want to remind us that faith takes that grip of fear that's on our hearts and begins to loosen it up. So then it goes back, the balloon goes back to, to its regular shape. And that's what the faith of God does to us, for us in the, the face of fear. But when we are giving into that fear and following the fearfulness rather than faithfulness, that fear externalizes itself. And we're going to look at four different ways that that fear is externalized. And the first way is this, a fearful heart is prone to denial. A fearful heart is prone to denial. So in this passage, Samuel then uh, um, encounters King Saul and begins to ask him questions and to deal with the situation. But look at verse 13 and verse 20. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Whenever I read that verse, I can just kind of picture Saul coming up to Samuel, like a big smile on his face, like, Wee, look at me, look what I did. We did it. No. Look at verse 20. He says, But I did obey the Lord. Saul said, I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. 
Friends, Saul is delusional here. He's denying any responsibility because if we, we look at what was actually said here, God said, wipe out everything, totally destroy, wipe out everything. But as we can see, they, they brought back King Agag and they brought back some of the livestock, some of the sheep and cattle. We'll deal with that in a moment. But essentially, friends, Saul is acting as if he is good. He's acting as if he is obedient. He's acting as if he is indeed in control. And what he's doing here is he's trying to make his disobedience appear to be acceptable in the eyes of Samuel and anybody else who's watching. The second way that a fearful heart comes out in our lives is that a fearful heart is prone to blame. Look at verse 15 and verse 21, the beginning of each verse. Saul answered, the soldiers brought them, the them is referring to the, uh, the livestock, the soldiers brought the livestock from the Amalekites, and then skip down to verse 21, the beginning there. Again, the soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder. Saul is saying, it wasn't me, Samuel. Don't look at me. I didn't bring these things along for the, the journey. It was, it was the soldiers. They did it. He's blaming the soldiers. He's attempting to divert focus off of himself and put it onto the soldiers. He uses that language, they. They did it. This isn't the first time we see uh, people blaming one another, trying to uh, um, kind of sugarcoat their, their sinful decisions. The first time we see this is in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve. And let's not just point the finger at Eve there because we're told that Adam was standing right with her. It was both of them together. And when they uh, uh, gave in and ate the, the fruit that God told them not to eat from and their eyes were open and we're told that they then uh, noticed their nakedness for the first time, which is a whole other issue. It's dealing with their, their shame that they now see. Shame has, and guilt has been brought into creation. And um, when God then shows up on the scene, immediately following, and he speaks to Adam first, and he says, Adam, what, what gives? And Adam goes, don't look at me, look at Eve. And he even says, the woman you gave me, right? Sounds like he's even maybe trying to blame God. God, don't look at me, look at Eve. As a matter of fact, you're the one that gave her to me. And then when God speaks to Eve, Eve does the same thing. She says, don't look at me. Look at the serpent. I mean, this is your creation after all. What's he doing here? Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. Saul blames his soldiers. But the responsibility ultimately lies with Saul. It ultimately lies with Adam and Eve. It ultimately lies with us. When we get involved in the blame game, we're again, we're trying to divert attention from ourselves onto others because we're attempting to deny any responsibility for what we did. Thirdly, a fearful heart is prone to twist God's word. And I, I just personally feel like this is a big one for um, the church. Not just not us, but just generally. Look at the second part of verse 15 and the second part of verse 21. He says, they, again, referring to the, the soldiers, he says, they spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. And then the, the rest of verse 21 the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Now, when God gave the instructions in verse 3 and verse 18 to deal with the Amalekites, did God say there, I want you to keep the best of the flock and bring them back and sacrifice them to me here in Gilgal? Is that what God said? No. 
So what Saul is doing here is he's just trying to, to put a little twist on the word of God. And he's again doing that to again try to deny any responsibility for his decision made in fearfulness. Friends, this is a common fear-based strategy that attempts to try and escape from any condemnation either from God or from other people. And when we do this, we simply are trying to redefine what it actually means to obey the Lord. We're trying to make following him appear more palatable, not only for our own situation, but also for others around us. Maybe we're trying to impress them and we feel like we have to just twist things a little bit to soften it. Or perhaps this is rooted in, in an attitude that comes from a place of trying to just be a people pleaser. And we do this all the time. And interestingly enough, this isn't the first time this appears in Scripture. Just like with the blame game, here with, with this issue, with twisting the word of God, this also goes back to Genesis 3. In the garden, when Adam and Eve were approached by the serpent and the serpent began the conversation, he didn't, uh, he didn't come with weapons of mass destruction. He didn't come with fireworks or, or anything big. His weapon was small, simple. It was an idea. It was a thought. And friends, Satan is not equal with God. God is ultimately um, unlimited in his creative abilities, whereas the evil one is very much a created limited being. And so the same tactic he used in Genesis 3 is the same tactic he uses today. The primary battlefield for our spiritual warfare is not out there. It's not big and grandiose. It's right here and right here. Our hearts and our minds. How did Satan do that in Genesis 3? He just simply asked the question, did God really say? And we do that today, don't we? Did God really say that I have to love my enemies and pray for them and bless those who persecute me? Did God really say that? Did God really say that I can't live a life of sexual immorality? Did God really say? Did God really say that I have to uh, be a generous person? It's better to give than to receive? I mean, did God really say that? I mean, I worked hard for this. Why can't I just keep it all and do what I want with it? Did God really say that question very much, much permeates the air in which we, we just walk and breathe today. But friends, God desires obedience above all else. He desires obedience above all else. Look at Samuel's response in verses 22 and 23. And um, while you're looking there, I just want to point out that these are words that David uses in his psalm of confession in Psalm 51. These are words that the prophets use. These are words that Jesus quotes in, uh, when he's talking to the Pharisees in uh, the Gospels. And so these, this is a powerful kind of key part of Scripture here, verses 22 and 23. Look at what Samuel says in response. He says, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Friends, true obedience comes from a heart that is single-mindedly focused on the Lord in love. I think sometimes when we hear that word obedience, one of our tendencies might be to think such words like legalism or, or have-tos, right? But that's not when Jesus uses the word obedience, when Samuel uses the word obedience here. He's not talking about anything kind of legalistic. He's talking about a life lived in obedience that comes from a transformed heart, a heart that has been encountered by the grace and truth and love and mercy of God. When we encounter him, there's that transformation piece, and then there's this desire stemming from love and thanksgiving where we just want our lives to be poured out for his sake, for his calls, for the name of Jesus. It's not, nothing to do with legalism. 
And Jesus agrees with what Samuel is saying here. I'm not going to read these verses, but I have them on the the outline for you, just as as references in John 14 and verse 15 are, are some examples where Jesus says things like, if you love me, you will obey my commands. He says that multiple ways, multiple times in those verses. If you love me, you will obey me. Again, it's talking about this transformed heart that's desiring to live obediently to God, coming from a place of love, not legalism. And our fourth area here is a fearful heart tends to be an inwardly focused heart. We see this clearly in the example of Saul in this passage. A fearful heart tends to be an inwardly focused heart. Look at verse 12 and then verse 30. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. And then look at verse 30. Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. Did you catch the language in those verses? Saul went down to to Gilgal, and on his way, he built a memorial that honored who? Himself. And when he's confessing here to Samuel, he's more concerned about honoring who? Me. His heart, again, just as God said when he spoke to his prophet Samuel, his heart has turned away from the Lord. His heart has turned away from God and has turned inwardly. He's become a navel gazer. Saul, at this point, is living life like this. Now, if I'm living life like this, where I'm just totally focused on my own self, wanting people to honor me only, can I see what's happening out here? No. Fear makes us do that. Fear, if not held up to the light of Scripture, gradually turns us inward like that. We become inwardly focused in our motives, in our actions, in our attitudes. Friends, this is a fruit of the flesh. To use Paul's words from Galatians 5, this is the fruit of selfishness. And I believe this comes as a desire to want to look good, not only in our own eyes, but in the eyes of others. And we do this in order to, uh, or in order to accomplish this, we tend then to neglect God, or maybe even try to placate God, by twisting his word perhaps, so that we can get what we want. It's only after Samuel, in this passage, doesn't fall for Saul's tactics that Saul then appears to confess his sin. But even his confession here seems self-serving. Saul is merely trying to save face in the eyes of the people. Look at verses 24 and 25. He says, it says, Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. And so... He admits his fear there. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. Sounds pretty legit there, right? I don't, I mean, personally, I don't find, seems seems like a legit uh, confession. But then again, when we look at verse 30 again, he says, I've sinned, but please honor me. Before the elders of my people and before Israel, come back with me so that I may worship the Lord, the Lord your God. Did you catch that last phrase there? So that I may worship the Lord your God. Not my God. Not our God. But your God. Again, showing how Saul's heart has turned So even something that might try to sound like a legitimate confession seems to be still coming from a place of just a focus of one's inward self. 
We can compare Saul here because Saul demonstrates a a heart that has no contrition, no humility, no repentance. And we could compare him to David because when David commits his sin with Bathsheba, which is the the sin of adultery, but even more, it's the sin of of abuse of power and and the sin of, of rape. And when Nathan the prophet in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel comes and approaches David and reveals to David afresh that, David, what you did was was sin and you need to deal with this. David's immediate response was what? It was to fall on his face in prayer to God. It was to confess his sin to God. It's from that moment that he wrote Psalm 51. And I believe uh, he even put sackcloth on and he fasted as a result. But when Saul is confronted here by Samuel for his sin against the Lord, what's his response? It's the complete opposite of David's, isn't it? Complete opposite of David's. His, re- his desire is to deny and deflect, showing the hearer that what appears that he has no personal relationship with the Lord. So what does this mean for us? How can we live a life that is fueling that faith in us rather than giving in to a heart of fear? I believe that God has given us what I'm calling two grace-filled means of help in times of fear. God's given us two grace-filled means of help in times of fear. And the first one is God's throne of grace. He's given us his throne of grace. Listen to these words in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 4 through 16. The author of Hebrews declares, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I love that passage. Because even as we talk about the, the fear of God, as Scott uh, talked about at the beginning of the, the, uh, our gathering today, the fear of God is not something that keeps us from God, but it's something that actually draws us to God. And through Jesus, who is our great high priest, that means that he is interceding on our behalf before God's throne, 24-7, 365, that it's through Jesus that we can come with confidence before God. So whatever it is that you're, you're, whatever is causing fear in you, whatever struggles you may have carried into this gathering this morning, whatever hardships, whatever difficulties, the encouragement for us is that don't just take those things and hold them to yourself, but bring them confidently before God's throne of grace. I mean, even that phrase, throne of grace, I mean, when we think of a throne, a throne is typically a, a picture, uh, it's a symbol of power. It's a symbol of authority. In um, the ancient Near East, that, uh, for, during the time this was written, for example, nobody would go before any um, king's, king or queen's throne without special permission. If you did, it meant... But Scripture says, no, come confidently before his throne of grace. Why? Because in doing so, we will, find, we will receive mercy and find help in our time of need. Take your hardships, take your fears, take your difficulties to God's throne of grace through Jesus Christ. And the second piece is this, and we actually get a glimpse of it in the Hebrews passage because do you notice all the the pronouns in that Hebrews passage? We, us, our. The second aspect of God's grace-filled means and help of times of fear is his community of grace. God's community of grace. And I love what Paul writes at the end of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, because we get a glimpse of, of what that community of grace entails. He says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. 
But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Do you see that language there? Restore one another gently. And carry one another's burdens. Friends, that can't happen when we are living in isolation by ourselves. I want to remind us today that there is no such thing as just a lone individual believer. There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. When you've said yes to Jesus, and when you were baptized in the blood of Jesus, you were brought into a community. You were brought into God's family. We are now brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the Most High King. And we are to live as that community. And that community is one of God's means of grace to us. Because we are to be involved in the restoring of one another. We are to be involved in carrying one another's burdens. And we can't do that on our own, living separate lives from each other. King Saul had Samuel speaking truth into his life. David had the prophet Nathan speaking truth into our lives. We need people who can speak truth into our lives that can help us refocus afresh on the gospel of Jesus Christ and show us when our lens has shifted and needs to be brought back into alignment. Friends, who are those people in your life? How often do you spend time with them? Let me just give you a, a quick example of one way this has been carried out. A friend of mine is, um, he and his wife are, were part of a small group. It was like maybe three or four couples. They were doing life together, to use that language. They were praying together, studying the word together, eating together. They were doing it often. And they had made a covenant with one another. And part of that covenant included that whenever one of the couples was planning on spending $1,000 or more, they actually first had to bring it to the entire community. And kick it around. You know, they had questions. Why are you doing this? What's the point of it? Is it going to be helpful or not? Is this going to put you in debt? You know, so on and so forth. And so that's just one example of what this grace-filled community can look like. We're not meant to be individual followers of Jesus, but we're called to do it together. And we get a glimpse back in 1 Samuel 15. We get a glimpse of this grace-filled community when we look at verse 14, the first thing Samuel says to King Saul after Saul comes and says, The Lord bless you, I carried out the Lord's instructions. Samuel says in verse 14, What is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Friends, I would suggest to us this morning that this question is actually a question of grace. Because it's in this moment right here where King Saul is given an opportunity. He's given an opportunity to own his sin. He's given an opportunity to own his fearful decision-making process and everything that that has led to. This is a moment of grace. It's an opportunity for Saul to confront his fear, his sin, his lies, and confess the truth and receive healing, forgiveness, and grace. But we know how Saul instead tried to, to deal with this. Denial and deflection, right? In closing, friends, hard questions and hard moments in life are not meant to be feared or meant to be pushed away or ignored, but rather hard questions and hard moments are meant to be embraced because it's in those moments that we find the growth moments that God has for us. It's in those moments we find the discipleship moments that continue to transform us. And it's those moments that are the life-changing moments as long as we don't give in to fear, denial, and try to hide from reality. Friends, a biblical community of grace will help shatter our fearful and delusional living. And this is a good thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this message today. Father, I thank you for this church body and all that you have done and are doing and all that you will continue to do both in us and through us. And I just pray for us, Lord, that 
in your grace, we would be a people that are continually reminded of the means of grace that you give us in order to walk faithfully, not fearfully. Thank you for the gift of your throne of grace that through your Son we can boldly come with confidence and find help and mercy in our time of need. Continually remind us of that. And Lord, I pray for us that as a community of grace in Jesus Christ, that we would not be those who are afraid or avoiding the difficult and hard moments or questions, but rather that we would begin to see them as you see them, as moments of grace, opportunities for grace, opportunities for growth. Father, I pray that we would be known as a people of faith, not a people of fear. And so I just lift this up to you today, Lord. Thank you for all that you are doing. And we just commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, church. Thank you, Chris, for that message. And as we continue uh, talking about faith over fear, uh, another great message of helping us do that. I want to encourage you, uh, if you would like somebody to be an accountability partner for you, um, or if you have questions about a small group or how you can get connected uh, with others that can pray with you uh, and pray together and uh, any of those kind of things, you can indicate that on that gray connection card uh, that you have found in your bulletin this morning. You can also, there'll be a, the connect link again uh, in the chat window. But if you have questions, you want to, to find out any of those things, uh, would you uh, take that step of faith this morning and write that on the card or, or on the online connection uh, card as well? Also wanted to say thank you uh, for your giving. Uh, your heart of faithfulness to that. You can see Pastor Chris looks like he's probably going to get a pie in the face next week unless something changes. You still have a week. Um, but your generous heart, your faithfulness to that. And so uh, we want to say thank you and just if you would continue doing that. And then also your tithes and offerings, the gifts that you give each week uh, are always a way that uh, it's worship to God and also that we can continue doing and supporting the ministries here at Peckway Church. If you want to give in person, there's envelopes at the back of the room. Online you can find and uh, a link there in the connect, uh, connect, sorry, the chat window. There'll be a give link. Uh, you can go through our website as well. You can text to give. There's many ways to do that today. Um, but thank you again for your faithfulness and generous, generosity. So uh, thank you for worshiping with us today. I look forward to doing it again with you next week. And uh, have a great day.